Welcome to Oh, I Like That, a podcast about things we like and occasionally things we don't. I'm Rachel Wilkerson-Miller. And I'm Sally Tamarkin. Rachel, good Friday. (laughs) Good Friday to you, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. We're recording this on Friday Senior, which is the official Christian name of the day of the week, (laughs) otherwise known as Friday. I think they re- Christians refer to it as Friday the Father, actually. Is that real? No. Oh. I just meant like, because <laughs> oh. there's like God the Father, God the Son, Damn. and God the Holy Spirit. So. I I believed it fully because you went to Catholic school. I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, to it was, accidentally prank you. No, it was great. I'm so not learned in things that are like not Jewish. So you could mm-hmm. totally invent anything and I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> just make up holidays. Fully. Okay. Well, anyway, it's it's Friday the Father. Mm-hmm. What is the vibe for you right now, Rachel? Vibe's pretty good because the sun decided to make a little appearance, which is nice. I just checked the mail, which is always a fun time. And I'm feeling pretty good because I am fully inoculated now. Got my second shot two weeks ago. I'm free to go out in the world. And tomorrow, the thing I've been waiting for, my first hair appointment. Yay. It's happening. It's finally it's happening. happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm really pumped about that. So it's probably going to be a long day, but it's okay. It's going to be great to do it and have it over with. It's going to be great. Yeah. We were talking before we started recording and I was saying that like I will have gotten my hair cut, I think like probably like four times like post being fully vaccinated before I go to the dentist for the first time in over a year. So I think, yeah, you, we've all got priorities here right. and uh, I'm not rushing back to the dentist though. I'm, it's on my radar as a thing I need to do. Yeah. It's on my radar generally, but uh, you, you know, I can keep my mouth closed. I can't, you know. I guess there are hats. <laughs> I guess that's the thing. Anyway. <laughs> no one can really see like your mouth on a Zoom call though. Exactly. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's. I'm feeling Friday-ish. It's like sunny and breezy here, which is really nice. It's been sort of gray and humid. And like you said, the sun decided to come out. And I'm excited because I'm going to have a couple of vaccinated friends over. Nice. Yeah, this weekend, which is going to be really fun and also weird. I was like at Trader Joe's trying to – I was like, what do you – you do something when people are coming over. You buy things, I think. Right. (laughs) And so I was like – Refreshments. Refreshments. And I was like, how do you – I was like, which – which salty carb goes with which dip? You know what I mean? Because it's like mm-hmm. you got the pita chips, you got the hummus, you have the tortilla chips, you have the salsa. There's a lot of stuff to work out. I think I worked it out. So I'm right. excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to like see people indoors without masks. And I'll report back about how how good that <laughs> or anxiety producing that feels. <laughs> Great. Speaking of friendship and seeing people, Sally, do you want to share a little announcement with everybody? So on an upcoming episode, we are going to answer your questions about friendships. And you can listen to we, – we dropped a little like – announcement in the feed just with like with all the instructions. But basically, email us at oilikethatpod at gmail.com by Tuesday, May 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And ask us anything about, you know, friendships, making friends, breaking up friendships. I mean, not other people's, although maybe that'll be a question. Exactly. You wanna, yeah. yeah. That'd uh, be a fun one to tackle. <laughs> yeah. You know, it could be like a thing you have going on or a thing you ha- like happened and you're wondering if you handled it in like in a way that seemed well i mean not that we're the arbiters of like whether or not you handled something well but we can weigh in yeah we can like give you retroactive advice like 
what we would have done or what we would have recommended. And you can see how that aligns with what you did and how you're feeling. Yeah, totally. And I think also like if it's not an exact situation, but that, that, you know, that you're involved in, but you want to be like, what are your thoughts on this friendship related topic? Mm -hmm. That's totally cool. So yeah, get in touch with us. Oh, I like that pod at gmail.com. You can email us or you can like send us like a voice memo and we can play that in the episode. Just like indicate to us everything about how we answer your question on the air. Like, do you want us to use your name? Do you want us to not use your name? If you send in a voice memo, do you want us to play it in the episode? Do you want us to not play it? Let us know your pronouns, all that stuff. And we look forward to talking friendship stuff. Yeah. Well, on that note, we should get into today's episode because I think we're both going to have a lot to say about it. Yes. Another, like, I think top 10 Rachel Sally topic. Yeah. <laughs> like strong opinions topic. Yeah. Strong opinions topic. We are going to talk about apologies and apologizing. Apologies are a thing that like happen a lot or like mm -hmm. should happen a lot, mm -hmm. but are often like very lacking. Yeah. I think like I know I have been the recipient of pretty bad apologies and also mm -hmm. I've been – the apologizer <laughs> of very bad apologies. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was like a few years ago that I started to think a little bit more intentionally about like what the point of apologies actually are and why it matters to do them with intention. Yeah. So when I think of how to apologize, I think of the BuzzFeed post that you wrote a few years ago that to me is like the gold standard formula for how to apologize that I kind of like always return to. So do you want to kind of run through those main points to kick things off? Yeah, totally. So I wrote this when I was on your team and I pitched this thing of like how to apologize like a goddamn adult, <laughs> especially because we were starting to see a lot of like terrible, well, maybe not starting to see, but it seemed like we were seeing more terrible yeah. apologies mm -hmm. in like public, like the, the notes app apology mm -hmm. from a celebrity that like, it turns out is like a sex pest or, right. you know, whatever. So, you know, I did a little research. I I, I think like there are I, – I feel like <laughs> the art of the apology is a thing that like people from a lot of different like backgrounds have opinions on like how they should – how they should be constructed and how they should go. And we'll talk about some of those later. But for me, this article on Psychology Today by Guy Winch, PhD, I thought was like a great formula. And we'll, we'll link to the article he wrote that I based my story on because there's a lot more sort of explanation and content and expertise in it than there is in what I wrote. But basically, it's, it's a five-ingredient apology recipe. And the ingredients are the first thing is you have to say you're sorry. Uh, you you can't, you know, you you can mix it up and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm real sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I sure am sorry, whatever. But like those words are important. I think like probably different languages and different cultures have different ways of expressing sorriness. But mm -hmm. I think in ours, it is an important signifier that you're making an apology. And then kind of like step 1A is you should never have the word if or but in your apology. So, I mean, we'll we'll <laughs> probably we'll get into the I'm sorry if apologies, but I cannot can you think of a situation where you can include an if in an apology and the apology still works? Not really. No, cuz I think like I, I understand why people are tempted to do it. I think it's people who didn't mean to hurt somebody. And so they're like trying to 
communicate that. But I think it's the kind of thing that it's like if you're writing this out, like delete those words and see what else you can come up with. Like you, I don't know, if you really need to communicate an if clause, like really think about why and see if the apology still works even without it. Because it's hard to think of one where it really makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you know, saying to yourself, like, never put if or but in an apology, you know, like you indicated, Rachel, it it makes you have to sit down and like think through what you're saying and why you're saying it. And the thing about apologies is like you're you're admitting some kind of fault and Mm -hmm. you there it's not the the fault isn't like maybe there or possibly real. You are saying you are at fault in a real way. And Mm -hmm. and if kind of undercuts that. And so sometimes I think it's about like thinking about what it is you think you're at fault for. Yeah. Because I think, you know, you can kind of start an apology thinking it's one thing and then think about it and be like, oh, actually it's kind of this other thing. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing is to be clear that you know what you did and that you regret it. So I gave some examples like I think I was watching Riverdale at the time. <laughs> My example was – I was like, Archie is an interesting choice for yeah, a name. I must so have, that makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I made a bad decision by telling Archie what you said about him. It was selfish when I bailed on our plans last minute. So basically, it, it's just like – it, and none of this has to be super elaborate. It can all mm-hmm. be like very straightforward. It's just like I know exactly what I did and I wish I hadn't done it. Then acknowledge the norm that was broken or the expectation – that was not met. And I think like this is one of those that like I I like to do this. I feel like it makes an apology thorough and intentional and makes it clear that like when I'm apologizing, I've really thought something through. I think like a lot of what we're going to talk about today really depends on the people and the relationship they have. Absolutely. But acknowledging the norm that was broken or the expectation that wasn't met. So in the Archie example, mm-hmm. you told me something in confidence and I didn't respect that. Or in the the second example about bailing on plans. I canceled our plans so late you probably didn't have time to make other plans. Because I, I think that like it kind of is nice when someone, in addition to being like, I'm so sorry I bailed at the last minute, you acknowledge that like one of the things that happens when you bail at the last minute is that you can like really ruin a friend's night because they don't have time to make other plans. And it's mm-hmm. nice to to like, you know, talk, like give voice to like the extent of like what your fuck up was. And then the last thing is to express empathy. So Guy Winch explains that this is a crucial part of the apology because it communicates to them that you've taken time to think about what it would be like to be on the receiving end of your behavior and you realize that it would feel bad. So like for the Archie situation, it must have hurt your feelings to have someone break your confidence, especially about such a personal and sensitive thing. And I can see how it would make you wonder if you can trust me. Or, you know, in the bailing on plans example, I'd be so pissed if I was all ready to go out and someone bailed at a point in the evening when it would be really hard to find other people to hang out with. And again, this is just like empathy is important. <laughs> like I think it's right. like a nice thing to to have and to express and to just kind of like live in. There is an amendment to the expressing empathy thing, which is to remember that saying, I'm sorry that you feel that way is actually not an expression of empathy. And as I said in this post, I feel like this is the most insidious non-apology there is because it it at first glance appears to have the makings of apology. Like it, it contains the sorry statement and the acknowledgement of feelings, but without attaching any sort of like admission of what you did 
wrong. And it also places the blame on the other person for having feelings. I would only say I'm sorry you feel that way if I was trying to be passive aggressive. I don't I have the same thought. Like <laughs> yeah. or if I were like talking to a child who is having a temper tantrum. Like it's a way to like acknowledge their feelings, but it's not it's not an apology for our purpose. This no, year. exactly. Exactly. And the last the last step is to ask for forgiveness, which I I feel like ask for forgiveness sounds like something that would be explored like in a Jane Austen novel. It sounds mm-hmm. like a little bit elaborate and florid for like yeah. modern day conversation. But it's it's as simple as I hope you'll accept my apology or I, I hope you can forgive me or I know it might take a while, but I hope that eventually you'll be able to accept my apology. I, I think it, you know, it, it doesn't have to be any more than that. But it's basically the point of this is to, you know, give the other person make it clear that you know it's the other person who gets to decide whether to forgive you and when to do it. It's an acknowledgement that like, you know, the ball's in their, not the ball's in their court, but like, you know, they they get to do whatever they want at this point. Mm -hmm. I would say my amendment to that is to avoid saying, can you forgive me at that moment? Because that's like putting them on the spot and they have to, they're like, it's kind of pressuring them to say yes for the sake of moving the conversation forward. So asking for forgiveness here is not literal. It's more like, you know, I hope you'll be able to forgive me or, you know, I'm going to give you space, but I hope we can reconnect soon. So I feel like it's, I would personally suggest avoiding the, can you forgive me? Yeah, I, I, I would too. And I think we'll talk about that more specifically later, but yeah, yeah. that that's it. I mean, it's, it's five steps. And once you kind of get used to it, I think it kind of becomes second nature. We'll link to this article in the show notes and also to Guy Winch's article as well. So Another favorite apology resource that we have, I say we, I have not read it, but you've shared it with me enough times that I, I like, I think of it as, as my own now. (laughs) Can you tell us about your, your resource? Yeah. So this is very much building on the stuff that you just talked about. It's a book called Why Won't You Apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts. And it's by Harriet Lerner, who is a therapist. And it's really fantastic. It is like, just like a big exploration of what makes a good apology, how to get the apology that you want, basically. It's like what to do if you're frustrated with somebody for betraying you or hurting you and they won't apologize. But like in reading it, you kind of learn from both sides of it, like how to apologize better, but also how to – it's really about like how to get an apology, which I think is a pretty interesting angle to approach it from. So Mm -hmm. I have learned so much from this book. I I like sourced my – own book from this book, like the chapter on apologizing. Like I, you know, quoted Dr. Lerner quite a bit. So I'm going to share some of my favorite tips from it that have really stuck out to me that I think are so smart and so practical. So one of the things that she talks about in the book is that the more serious the offense, the harder it is to get a good apology. Like Mm. you might think if somebody does something that's like so obviously horrible that like it should be easy to get an apology, but like it's actually more difficult because the shame is greater. And so it's Mm. like people get defensive and they kind of shut down. So if somebody did something that's really clearly horrible and they won't apologize to you, like that's actually pretty normal. So it's not great, but like know that, you know, if you're feeling like what is going on here, I feel like I'm losing it. That actually makes perfect sense that they won't apologize for something that's super serious. Mm. One of the other things I thought was interesting is that if you really want the person to change, 
you have to make sure that you're going after their behavior versus who they are at the core. Because again, people get super defensive. And it is a bit frustrating to be like, I was wronged. Why do I have to like handle you so gingerly to get the apology that I want? But it's kind of like, what is your goal here? Do you want this relationship to be healed? Do you want an apology or do you just want to be right? And do you want to sort of be righteous? Because if you actually want the person to change, you know, you do have to probably make this distinction because as soon as you attack their character, they're going to shut down. So like the classic example for this is saying like, you're a racist versus like, that was a really racist thing to say. Mm -hmm. And again, it's frustrating because sometimes you want to just be like, you're a racist. Like, like, no, let's let's be clear here. Sometimes you are a racist. You are, right. But like, I think it's like kind of depends on the position that you're in. Like, are you the person who's really close to this person who can actually get them to listen and like you have an opportunity to get them to change? Then like, be mindful of the fact that, you know, attacking who they are is probably not going to do it. It's also like a really intense project to take on to like try to change someone at their core because at a certain point you have to wonder like maybe this isn't the friendship for me if I'm trying to change them at their core. I think it's a really different thing to be like, you know, let me help someone understand why this behavior hurt me so they can like not do it again. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I really like in this book is that she talks about like when people's apology makes it so about them that there's actually like not space for other people. Mm. So one of the things that Dr. Lerner writes is, it's not a true apology if overdoing how terrible you feel about your misdeed leaves the hurt party feeling worse. So I think we've now in this new era of like social justice playing out on social media, we're starting to see in real time like what a good apology looks like, what a bad apology looks like, and when people really center themselves in their apology. And we've seen a lot of white people like just going on about how guilty they feel and how like, you know, I was up crying all night thinking about that racist thing I said to you. And like, if you're apologizing, that conversation shouldn't end with the person you hurt comforting you. Like if that's where things are going, you're off track. It's time to reset. Like, you got to process this in your own time with your therapist, with your partner, whoever that person might be, so that you're able to like apologize in a way that puts the focus on them. And that's not to say that you can't get emotional because we all do. And it's when you hurt somebody who you care about, it's like easy to feel emotional. But I think kind of keeping in check that like they shouldn't feel like they need to comfort you. And that might mean you need to like practice this a couple times so that you don't get too emotional or you need to rewrite it and delete it, but just like try to avoid centering how bad you feel. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And again, I think it comes from like a well-meaning place of like, I'm trying to communicate to you how seriously I'm taking this, but like, this isn't about you. It's about them. That's one of the things I like about the five ingredient recipe is that it builds in the regret and the empathy without having to like, you know, throw yourself like wailing and gnashing on the floor and like you know, <laughs> grab their ankles and say, I'm so sorry. Can you ever forgive me? This is how bad I feel. Totally. Another thing that she talks about is over apologizing. And I mean, that's exactly what it sounds like. And she writes that over apologizing creates distance and interrupts the flow of normal conversation. It will irritate your friends and also make it harder for them to hear you when you offer an apology that you really need to give. So like she uses the example of like, if you've forgotten to return your friend's salad bowl, don't apologize numerous times as if you ran over her kitten. Like these <laughs> – like don't overdo it because it's just too much and it'll make people feel – it doesn't feel genuine because it's like, well, that doesn't map to the thing that you did. So like you're kind of bullshitting me. So I think like being mindful of that, especially because I mean in the past few years we've seen those articles that are like women apologize too much. Like I apologized to a desk when I ran into it. Like we all are – you know, have a tendency, I think, to maybe apologize when we don't need to. But I think it's about that, like, that wailing, dramatic apology for something 
that's, you know, ultimately not that big of a deal. So kind of like check in with yourself to make sure that the tenor of your apology matches what actually happened. Yeah, especially because if you apologize a lot or over-apologize, that's another way in which you're you're making the other person have to like say, oh, that's okay, that's okay, over and over and over again. And that's so fucking annoying. I agree. Okay, so this one, which is hard for me to put into practice in many ways, but I think is a good bit of advice, is that if you want to get a good apology from somebody else, make your grievance much shorter. Hmm. So she says that we think like if we think we won't get through to somebody we often want to like increase the intent intensity and length of our argument like we want to like list out in great detail everything they did wrong and like why they should be apologizing and she's basically like people get defensive they tune out mm. they're not going to take all of that in so like maybe you want to write all this out and then you cut it down to like a fifth of that and just make it quick like you did X, it really hurt me. Like you don't need to go into like a seven-part masterclass on <laughs> why they fucked up. That's also really hard for me too because I have – I'm I, I I'm someone who has a manifesto for everything. Exactly. <laughs> so it's really hard for me to put the manifesto aside and just like in a succinct way be like, hey, this is the deal. Yeah. And then she has some stuff in there about like receiving an apology and – one thing that I took away from this is if you're feeling really defensive when somebody comes to you with a criticism, it's okay to like take a minute because what you don't want to do is like somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, you fucked up. And you're just like, no, I didn't. And you just like kind of snap and lose it and get really emotionally flooded and can't hear them. That's not good. So it's okay to just say like, I hear what you're saying. I'm finding myself getting really defensive and I don't want to do that because I know that'll make things worse. I've heard everything you've said. Is it okay if I like take a minute to like process it or cool down or go, you know, go outside for a second to catch my breath and then we can talk about this a little bit more? Like most people will respond to that if you're doing it from a place of genuineness and you really want to do it. If you're making it clear like I'm doing this because I don't want to have a fight with you, what you're saying is important. I'm not trying to avoid this. I'm trying to hear you better and I know myself well enough to know that like I'm not able to have a productive conversation right now, but like I just need to like a few minutes to process to kind of come down. Most people will respond well to that. On the other, like if you're on the other side of that and somebody says that to you, like let them have that moment. If they're asking for it, that's kind of a hard thing to ask for, actually. And it's like shows that they're trying. So give people that space if they need it. She says that, like, the most important thing you can do when you've hurt somebody is to listen to them Mm. tell you how much you've hurt them, Mm -hmm. like to hear their pain. And so if you are unable to do that, if you want to interrupt them and if you want to shut them down, like, that's really bad. Like you need to pause until you're in a place where you can just like sit there and let them tell you like you really hurt me. You really let me down. And like that is really like the gift you give somebody after you've hurt them. That's that is what you that is what is owed to them is to like sit there and just like let them and, you know, hopefully they won't come to you with a manifesto. But like you do have to make a little space for them to just share how much you've hurt them. Yeah, that's awesome. That uh, this that that's one of the the things that reminds me about – that reminds me of what apologies are meant to do. They're meant to like facilitate accountability and repairing harm, which mm-hmm. is like – because if – if and if we don't do these things in these ways or with intention, it's like what – what why should anyone feel different before they get an apology versus after, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that she talks about in here is like don't use an apology as sort of a bargaining chip or a get out of jail free card in the sense of like, well, I apologize to you. Why can't we move on? Like sometimes 
that's not enough. Like sometimes it's like, okay, thank you. Like I appreciate the apology, but I'm still not ready to see you again or talk to you again. Or like, I still like, thank you for the apology. I still don't want to be friends or whatever the case may be. Um, so if, if you're, if you're viewing apologies as like, well, I've done the thing. I said, I was sorry. That's probably not the place to be coming from because it's going to come across as not genuine. Like you're trying to, it's good to be willing to apologize, but if you're too quick to apologize before you even had a chance to understand what you did wrong, before you've actually listened to the other person's pain, it's not going to, it's not going to be the solution that you're hoping for. It's going to just come across as dismissive. This book is very, very helpful. It's really smart. It really is about like family therapy in a lot of ways or like couples therapy. So if you are, you know, dealing with a a tense relationship with like an estranged family member or a child or something to that effect, like this is a great book to read. But it's also just like if you're just interested in like being a good person in the world and understanding social connections and relationships a little bit better. I feel like this is a really good resource. It's like a breezy read. It's like very easy to get through, but it gives you such an insight of like apologies all around. And I mean, she's a therapist. She's talking to people who are dealing with like serious, serious betrayals. It's like, you know, families who, you know, kicked a kid out for whatever reason or like, you know, said horrible things to each other or instances of abuse. Like these are like pretty serious oh, wow. harms. And so it like it approached he said it was a breezy read. And like it is, despite what I just said, like it's it's talking I guess my point is like it's talking about really serious things and it's helpful to have this as a manual. Hopefully you never find yourself in a situation like that. But I find it's helpful to sort of be proactive and like learn about these kinds of things before it comes to that and to better understand why some apologies don't feel good. Like she does a lot of explaining like pseudo apologies and why they feel bad. And so I think it's helpful to have that knowledge. So when somebody does apologize and you're like, they said they're sorry, why don't I feel better? Like, I feel like this book provides a good amount of insight into why an apology might not feel like it's working or why you're having trouble forgiving somebody even after they've apologized. So highly recommend it. Why won't you apologize by Dr. Harriet Lerner? And we'll link to it as well. That's awesome. Dr. Harriet Lerner and Dr. Guy Wench coming in hot with mm-hmm. the apology, <laughs> the apology info. So when we were like preparing for this, we were like just kind of looking at what has been written about apologies and like apologizing. And we came across a book by the two people who wrote about love languages. They wrote about apology languages, which I think we were initially really excited to like look into. Mm-hmm. And then we we took the quiz on their site. And we we found out our apology languages. And like, I guess like for me, some of it resonated, but we as we started to scientifically validate the tool, we started to have some <laughs> reservations. But do you want to like take us through the five apology languages? Yeah. And I should say, like, I love the five love languages. I think they're really accurate and helpful. I think it's a really good tool. I did not quite feel the same way about the apology languages, in part because I find the found the quiz like very annoying mm-hmm. and just kind of it's kind of basic and obvious, which like I want a quiz. It's not so clearly communicating which answer I'm choosing. Okay. So the five languages that they offer are, and these, it's like the way that you would most like to receive an apology. So these are the things you want the other person to do. Expressing regret, accepting responsibility, making restitution, genuinely repenting, and requesting forgiveness. So I think both of us had the reaction when we were taking this quiz, like, I want the person to do all five of these things for the most part. And like looking at them spelled out like that, it's like this feels very similar to the five ingredient apology. So I think one of the problems with this quiz is like you have to choose an either or where I'm like, I wish I could choose like first this, then that. Like I wish I could choose two for each of them because a lot of them 
kind of feel like they go hand in hand. So we both did the quiz. My primary apology language, according to this, is make restitution, which I can read a little bit of what that means. But it there's a bit of a strange thing happening in this quiz where making restitution and genuinely repenting have a lot of overlap. And I chose restitution more, but I think after reading the description of repenting, that's the one that clicks more for me. So the way they define this is expressing regret is saying, I am sorry. Accepting responsibility is I was wrong. Making restitution is what can I do to make it right? Genuinely repenting is I'll try not to do that again. And requesting forgiveness is will you please forgive me? One of the things about requesting forgiveness is that when you're taking the quiz, the, the <laughs> every single one of those has some version of like, will you please forgive me in it? So it's very obvious. So it's like, can you ever forgive me? Or like forgiveness? Yes, you maybe. Like it just is very obvious that the word forgive is in all of those. And it comes across as a bit corny and on the nose in a way that I was like, I can't, I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> we also both wanted to like have a a breakup with the person who kept saying that or a friend breakup, like whoever they were, because they, Mm -hmm. they kept, I was so annoyed by this, the fiction, what they, what the quiz is, is like, you get a scenario that's like, your spouse has failed to acknowledge your wedding anniversary. This is what they should say. Or like your mother knew how you felt about a matter and knowingly went against your wishes. Here's how they should apologize. And the, the person who is doing the requesting forgiveness one is so fucking annoying. It's really annoying. (laughs) Like they're like, can you ever, it's very, again, with like this sort of Jane Austen and like the wailing and gnashing of teeth thing. It's just Mm -hmm. like, why, why I wouldn't even be friends with this person. No. So why are they talking to me? Why are they apologizing to me? Yeah. I acknowledge that there's all kinds of apology languages and some people want to hear the words, will you please forgive me? But I think if you take the quiz, you'll see why we found it sort of so grating. But so the thing was making restitution is what can I do to make it right? Genuinely repenting is I'll try not to do that again. For me, those go hand in hand. Like I think it's really important to examine like what caused you to do something and to both try to fix it and also have like a promise of this won't happen again. And so even though my primary one was making restitution, what can I do to make it right? I think genuinely repenting that I'll try not to do that again is so important because for me, I want to hear somebody say like, you know, with the example of like your spouse forgot your wedding anniversary. I think that what can I do to make it right is important. Like, I know I forgot this. How can I make it up to you? Like, I want to plan something special, but also the I'll try not to do that again. I think the example they give in the quiz is like, I'll circle it on my calendar for next year. And like, that's silly. But like, I do think saying like, you know, I'm, I realize like sometimes I'm really scatterbrained about important dates. So I'm going to, you know, make better use of my calendar and make sure that I don't let that happen again because I want you to know how much I care about you. Like, I do think that's important because otherwise it's like, have you learned anything from this? So I think that's why I'm really drawn to those two. Sally, what was your your main language? Rachel, my primary apology language was expressing regret, Mm. which is saying I am sorry. Mm. And then so that, so it gives you basically a percentage in each one. So it was 50% expressing regret, 35% accepting responsibility, which is the saying I was wrong one. 10% genuinely repent, which is saying I will try not to do that again, which I think we got a little bit confused because I will try not to do that again doesn't sound like it's great, but it doesn't sound like genuine repenting. (laughs) And then 5% 
make restitution, which as Rachel was explaining is what can I do to make this right? And then 0% asking for forgiveness. We both had 0% asking for forgiveness. Yeah. It was really funny. Yeah. We were 0% and wanted to like throw our computer out the window. So like, I think that like, I'm a little surprised that I was actually, I don't know. I think like 50% expressing regret, 35% accepting responsibility. I I guess like those are probably two of the most important components of an apology to Mm -hmm. me. So I, I can see how that makes sense. And I think like, you know, when you see the way that they score your quiz and you see that it's a percentage in in each it it makes more sense because it's it's not like it it is it, it's not saying you know an apology is one of these things mm-hmm. it's saying like an apology is all of these things which are the ones are like most important to you to hear mm-hmm. so i mean that that's fair enough i i don't necessarily think that like i i agree with like how they define what repenting is, for example. Yeah, it, it felt a little off. It just, yeah, it just felt a little off. And I, th- I think that like this is not not to like rank these different resources we're talking about. The book is called "The Five Languages of Apology: How to Experience Healing in All Your Relationships." Maybe they go, you know, deeper into apologies and how they work in relationships the way Guy Winch and Harriet Lerner do. But you know, I think from just the quiz that we took, it felt a little bit more i mean it's a quiz right. it felt a little bit more like a shortcut that is meant to sort of alert you to the fact that like this is even a thing to think mm-hmm. about because i i think that like and you know and in a society that's obsessed with like crime and punishment and carceral responses to causing harm i think not many of us like are socialized to really think about apologies as a system of like facilitating accountability and repairing harm. Mm-hmm. I think we think a lot about them in a kind of transactional way mm-hmm. where it's like, well, they think I fucked up, so I better say sorry so that we can like move past it. Or yeah, I did this thing wrong. I better say sorry so we can move past it instead of thinking about like, okay, like how do I take responsibility? How do I express empathy? And then for the other, I think it, it also really is work for the other person, which is like, Sounds like a lot of what the book you were talking about focuses on, Rachel, which is like learning how to accept apologies Mm -hmm. and like, you know, learning how to integrate a good apology into like your relationship and and stuff like that. So I think this is like this apology language situation is like maybe a nice start, but not as like in in depth as some of the other resources we talked about. Yeah, I think if anything, it's like a good thing to, you know, I think it's always helpful to take little quizzes to learn more about yourself and to discuss with friends or a partner so that you can better understand each other. So taking it and then discussing your results and if it feels right to you, I think is like a worthwhile activity. But I I don't think this is quite as helpful as the five love languages core thing. I feel like they tried to extend the brand a bit and maybe uh, it didn't it didn't work as well as they had hoped. So but like, you know, take the quiz, see what you get, see if it feels right to you and and it could be helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think that's it for this episode on apologies. I'd like to reserve the right to maybe revisit this in the future because we just we love talking about apologies and apologizing. Yeah, I think this is our sort of our foundational text on apologies, but we may have more to say in the future. So I would also like to revisit this later if should we need to. Yeah, for volumes two through a (laughs) hundred. (laughs) 
Rachel, what is your nice thing to end on? My nice thing to end on is that a friend of mine, a longtime blogging friend, Jessica Merchant, who writes the blog How Sweet Eats, has published a new cookbook that is out this week. It's called Everyday Dinners, Real Life Recipes to Set Your Family Up for a Week of Success. It just arrived this morning and I'm very excited to start cooking from it. I got to look at an advanced copy. I think it's great. It is like Jessica's one of my favorites. We've met in person a few times. We're very friendly and she's a great recipe writer and comes up with really good recipes and the recipes in this book are no exception. So highly recommend it. And yeah, I just wanted to plug my friend's book. It's nice that this is out in the world now. That sounds awesome. This reminds me, Rachel, of like how many cookbooks and just like books we would be sent in the in offices like galleys and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Are you getting a lot of books like at home? I only am getting ones I'm like specifically asking for because no one has my address. So I'm guessing that there's a bunch of them piling up at the vice office, but not here. I also though I'm I use NetGalley, which is like a way to get books sent for my Kindle so I can just avoid the massive having too many books. But this is one I have the hardcover book because it's worth it. Nice. I was talking to a friend who was like talking about people they know who are lifestyle journalists who need to review like refrigerators and are getting refrigerators like delivered to their home. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Okay. My nice thing to end on is the podcast Boring Books for Bedtime, Mm. which is basically it's someone reading a boring book into a microphone in a tone that can only be described as – Dulcet? Well, (laughs) I was actually going to say like an unimaginably like even Mm. and relaxed and slow Mm. to the point where when I started listening to this podcast, I was like, this, I can't, this is like, she's performing reading (laughs) in a chill way so much that I'm distracted. I hate this. Uh And then like one minute later, I was like, I'm getting sleepy. That's, I genuinely need this in my life. So thank you. Yeah. So basically like, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, not able to sleep. And uh, what I often will do is like watch a TV show mm-hmm. and like, you know, I'll fall asleep eventually, but like those things are like stimulating. Mm-hmm. Like and I don't want to go to sleep because I'm like watching Parks and Rec and I'm waiting for the next joke. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what else can I do? I, I don't want to read because then when I read in the middle of the night, I forget everything I read because mm-hmm. I'm too sleep. It's like whole thing. Okay. Boring books for read. So here are some examples of things that she reads. Manual of Egyptian Archaeology and Guide to Antiquities, A Winter Walk by Henry David Thoreau, Mm. 1897 Sears Roebuck and Company Catalog, Musical Goods Department, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, The History of Bread by John Ashton, Politics by Aristotle, Bicycling for Ladies by Maria E. Ward. I'm guessing these are all things that are like, there's no copyright problem with. Right, right. U.S. Internal Revenue Service, Publication 583, Starting a Business. So- you know, you you can really choose, and there's a, a ton of episodes. Mm. So, you know, you you can say like, you know, I think I don't think I want to listen to the principles of geology tonight, but transatlantic eastbound passenger sailings, 1925, sounds pretty good. <laughs> and I will tell you that like, it's the perfect mix of like, oh, that's like an interesting thing for someone to read, and then you're instantly asleep. It's like, you know, if you've ever taken any kind of a medicate like a Benadryl that makes you sleepy where mm. all of a sudden like mm-hmm. one second you're awake and another second you're waking up mm-hmm. like truly this is what I have experienced with this app you know so definitely listen to it if you need help sleeping don't be turned off by the extremely slow deliberate um, it's almost like a it's like you know that SNL skit where they do NPR voice mm-hmm. 
it's it's like almost like that, but even more like slow and deliberate. Just like bear with it, let it play out, and you will be asleep. That sounds great. I genuinely need this because lately we've been wanting to fall asleep to podcasts and we don't have one that like fits this bill because it's like we listen to podcasts we want to listen to. And so we can't find one that like makes sense for bedtime. So this is a great recommendation. Yeah, it's it's great. Okay, well we did it. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Oh, I Like That. Thank you for ev- to everyone who has rated and reviewed us on iTunes. If you can please do that now, <laughs> right now, right this moment, <laughs> this that would be moment, great. We, yeah. <laughs> we'd really appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at Oh, I Like That Pod or email us at Oh, I Like That Pod at gmail.com. You can also follow the two of us. I'm the underscore R-E-W-M and Sally is at Sally T. Oh, I Like That is produced by Rachel and Sally and edited by Lucas. Amber Seeger, who is Rocket Orca on social media, designed our logo.